0: Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Since the early aughts, Sophia Bush has consistently held court as a bona fide American TV darling. Beginning with her starring role on One Tree Hill, and more recently, a four-season strong stint in the Dick Wolf universe of Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, and Chicago PD. But earlier this year, the actor and producer decided it was time to shift gears. With the entertainment world in the thick of a major gender revolution, she realized her next role was on the front lines— using her mega-charged star power to direct attention to the hot-button issues of the moment. Think of it like another leading lady part, only this one is set in the real world. Of course, fans freaked out when news broke that the 35-year-old had decided not to renew her contract. But her million-strong following knows that social advocacy was always a major part of the plan. Sophia has a long history of good works and bootstrap activism— And this next phase is a natural evolution of her personal brand. Lest anyone forget, she spent her 30th birthday building a school in Guatemala. On social media and in real life, she's taken on issues of immigration, gun reform, reproductive education, and environmental legislation. And earlier this year, she posted a pic of herself taking a knee in support of the NFL protests. Just to make sure she's showing up at the plate fully prepped, she's been boning up on constitutional law too. Suffice it to say, she's been busy, and she's planning on staying that way. She's raising the stakes in her original career sphere, too. Last month, it was announced that Sophia signed an exclusive deal with 20th Century Fox, where she'll not only star in an upcoming pilot, but also serve as an executive producer for a project currently under development. As for on-screen, the roles she's drawn to are increasingly more dynamic and complex. This winter, you can see her in the Thurgood Marshall biopic a film about sexual assault and bigotry, and a court case that rocked the country. And next year, Sophia appears in the thriller, Acts of Violence, in which she plays a detective investigating a human trafficking ring. But this isn't the new and improved Sophia Bush. The truth is, this is who she's been all along. And like so many of her freedom-fighting peers mobilizing the revolution, her stage is only going to get bigger. Sophia, thank you so much for being a guest on UnStyled today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. This is so great. We've been talking about it for what feels like forever.
0: I know. Before we get into a lot of the, the sort of big changes that are taking place in your life, you've been acting for a long time.
1: Fifteen years, yeah, since I really have been paying my bills doing this and, and longer as a hobby before.
0: Tell me about the, the last 15 years. Like, what has acting been like? what What is the role that that's played in your life?
1: Acting is, and I think it's sort of purest sense. You know how we all sort of talk about how we're trying to live from our highest selves and be our best selves. And then there's On like, good days, we're saying those things. Totally. And then we have days where like our lizard brain takes over and we can't mm-hmm. figure out why we're freaking out over things that don't matter. So when I sort of think about it in that universe and I think about what's kind of the highest self version of what my career means to me. Storytelling is the oldest form of human history on earth. It's how we have built societies. It's where philosophy comes from. It's where community happens. Storytelling can change minds. It can create empathy. It can create catharsis. You know, I I don't take the sort of pure core of it lightly and i feel really i don't want to say lucky cuz i don't think it has anything to do with luck like to the public i think it can look that way because they don't see the thousands of auditions for the thousands of jobs you didn't get and the sleepless nights and like all of the stress and all of the work like it, it is not a an industry that revolves around luck i think people like to tell the fairy tale a little bit again cuz they're storytellers but
0: it is hollywood
1: and, you know yeah we need to
0: sell a story
1: Yeah. Well, but everybody does. I mean, look at Instagram. Look at like every company hiring marketing firms. It's like it isn't just Hollywood, but I think Hollywood is the place that it's easy to understand. And also it's the place people secretly love to hate and want to tear down. So Mm -hmm. there's those things. But on the more sort of practical application of what storytelling means to me, it's been really hard. It is really psychologically tough to create a life that feels real and fulfilling in a place that you could be leaving any moment of any day. It is hard to create something that feels meaningful when you don't know where it's going. It is hard to live in a constant state of temporary permanence. So in a way, you sort of feel when you're on location, like you're in jail because you are literally stuck somewhere. You have no autonomy over your life, your schedule, your routine. You can't plan a workout. You can't plan a doctor's visit. You can't go to the dentist. You literally do not know what you're doing the next day until very late the night before. Those things can change on you at any time. They can change the schedule at any time. They can send a new script at any time, but you can't change anything. And, and you can say, you know, my mom is turning 65 and I want to go home for her birthday. Nobody cares. The only reason you get to not come to work is if you're literally in the hospital and they will not let you leave. So you could be sick with the stomach flu. You could have pneumonia. It doesn't matter. You're going to work. Because if you don't go to work, you screw up 200 other people's days and it's expensive and whatever. So there, there is a side that nobody talks about because we only Instagram story the stuff that's fun when someone's being hilarious or you're doing a cool stunt or whatever where Everyone at work is sick, conditions are precarious, it's not always safe, and you're meant to be very sunshiny and happy and grateful all of the time, even when you know that your quality of life is diminishing, your actual physical and mental health are diminishing. Everybody goes, oh, nobody wants to hear an actor complain. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe the reason people don't think any of us has a right to complain is because they
0: don't know how fucking hard this is. When you ended your contract.
1: Yeah, that was a big decision.
0: It was a really big decision. Why did you do it?
1: I came across this quote the other day, like two weeks ago, that I just can't stop repeating to myself. And as people ask me, why did you leave? Why would you quit a hit show? I've had to come to terms with the fact that this applies to me, which is there is absolute truth and beauty in the knowledge that I don't have to set myself on fire to keep other people warm. I don't have to give everyone the specific breakdown of exactly why I left until I'm ready to do that. But the overarching theme for me was that I landed my dream job. I landed this job that since I was 20 years old and trying to become an actor, I said I wanted, and aspects of it, don't get me wrong, were wonderful. But I realized and i'm stubborn. You know, my my best friend's dad likes to laugh at us and he says, "Oh, my, my my brilliant girls, why do you always learn lessons the hard way?" If i look back because things are clear in hindsight and you can kind of i think when you look in reverse identify the markers defining what was happening to you. I knew by the end of the second season i couldn't do that job anymore. But i'm really stubborn and i'm really good at taking care of other people. And How do you quit your dream job?
0: But that's a headline. Yeah.
1: But a year later, when I sat my bosses down, and it was right, it was in the summer between seasons three and four. And I said, You know, here's where we are. Here's everything you're aware of. Here's how I'm coming to you today. If something really drastic doesn't change, I'm leaving at the end of the year. And because I understand how the business works and how women are treated, I said, I'm giving you. Not two weeks notice and I'm not coming in here throwing shit and breaking, you know, breaking lamps and saying I'm never coming back. I'm giving you 23 episodes notice. Mm -hmm. Like I'm giving you that much time. So there will be no conversation in which I was hysterical, uh, emotional, in which I was being like a quote irrational female or whatever you want to put on it. I'm literally sitting in front of you like cool as a cucumber. If this has to be like a big swinging dick competition, I promise you I will win. Mm -hmm. But know this now. And if we're not having a very different conversation by Christmas, then, you know, with 100 percent certainty in December that come the end of April, I'm leaving. And it was really hard to have that conversation, but it was so liberating. And I immediately felt like these, you know, like steel anvils had been pulled off my chest. And it was then that I realized I'd been drowning. And it was then that I knew just how miserable I was going to work every day. And there there were people who brightened my day. Like, I... I FaceTime with Marina once a week and I talk to my makeup artist all the time and Luch and I talk all the time. He was my technical advisor. Like, he's such an incredible man. I love him so very much. I made family there. But what you start to realize is that, like, if your house was burning down, you wouldn't hang out inside because your brother was in there and you loved him. You'd be like, yo, I love you. Let's get out of this house. And for me... Not to put it on anybody else, but for me, it felt like I was trapped in a burning building. I was just so unhappy, and it was my dream job, and I was miserable, and I had to go.
0: After you did that, how did your life change?
1: Um, I mean, it was, it was wildly exciting. You know, it was, um, it was a little complicated because, you know, I was asked by the powers that be like, please keep this between us. So when do you
0: think you'll be ready to talk more about that in detail?
1: Um, I feel like it's coming. Do you ever the analogy i like to use for big big life things is um almost like something's approaching but it's still a little blurry in the foreground but you can see it like mm-hmm. you can see what the shape of it is that's kind of the stage where i feel like i am with the whole thing and and again it's hard because people who i care about are there but again as i was sort of as i was coming home and like realizing that i was getting uh, all 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 sides of sort of accused of being heartless to like screamed at for not having made my own statement. I thought, I don't owe it to any of
0: you guys. Who was saying that? You know, where was this criticism just from?
1: all, all on the internet, like all social media, just going totally crazy. Like and, you owed an explanation mm-hmm. and from the trolls your fans. claiming that like my personal life drama. And I was like, I don't have any personal life drama. And like, you guys are literally idiots Like, all of your theories about my life are always wrong. And P.S., you generally find out I'm single, like, a year after I am. Like, I've been doing me for a year, and y'all are just pissed? Like, I don't care if you're pissed. It's not your life. So in a way, you sort of have to laugh, but also it is tough to just read, like, thousands and thousands of comments of people. Also then just being like, you have no respect for us, and you didn't tell us. And it's like, you know what? I had to respect myself in a situation where I didn't feel respected
0: and that's a milestone. Honestly, it seems like it it might be a small thing, but there are a lot of women out there that probably consider that and think, I don't know if I could do that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be really hard. I'm going to have to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to do my own explaining to everybody Mm -hmm. in my life that, you know, counts on me. But speaking of trolls, your social media was a little bit different even about a year and a half ago. There was a moment, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm. that you didn't have comments on Instagram.
1: Yeah, I had to take them off.
0: And I really wondered about that. You've also been very vocal about just the role that trolls play mm. in our right to use social media as a platform to talk about the mm-hmm. things that we're passionate about. And advocacy has really become an enormous part of your of your work now. Mm-hmm gun control, um, reproductive rights, uh, mm-hmm. birth control. Tell me about the role that social media is playing you know, in, your, in your world now.
1: So what's interesting is um, advocacy has been my life far before I had a platform for it. And I remember, I mean, back in the day, I, I started using Twitter because of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. That's literally the reason I started an account.
0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: One, when it first began because I, I didn't want my life being invaded any more than it already had been. And, and I realized that by... Trying to protect my privacy, I was also silencing myself, and so I went to Louisiana and I opened a Twitter account.
0: Um, that also sounds like the opening line of a of a chapter in a <laughs> memoir. I yeah. moved to Louisiana and I opened a Twitter account.
1: Um, and you know, I got there that I spent a a, a week down there doing post disaster advocacy and was threatened with arrest and, you know, all sorts of things for exposing what was happening uh, on the Gulf Coast at the time. And luckily, in addition to a film crew, I had lawyers with me. So I was like, throw me in jail. Try. Like, you're telling me I'm breaking the law and I'm not. Um, So perhaps I was getting ready to go and play uh, a law enforcement officer. Who knows? But, you know, I remember years ago, like, I mean, it was a time when, when, you know, Hollywood, and I'm like air quoting and rolling my eyes because I just think it's so annoying. But really, I had, I had people giving me feedback, agents and lawyers being like, you can't do this. You can't be all about all these things and the world's problems. And, you know, what people do is they go to a couple of charity things that they really believe in and they write checks and then they just smile for everybody. And I was like, that's not fucking no. me. That's just not the person that I am whatever that thing is in me it's the thing that used to make me take my Saturdays and go do trash cleanups at the beach while my mom was like I don't want to drive to the west side anymore and I was like please mom you know that's what I wanted to do and I don't even say it like it makes me cool or interesting it's like it's just who I am I get that it's a pain in the ass for some people but you know what this is me And I don't know how to not stick up for the little guy. And I don't know how to not speak up for the guy who's afraid that if he complains that he's in an unsafe environment at work, he might get fired. I don't know how to not do that.
0: We don't want you to stop doing that.
1: And I won't. Like, even if people wanted me to, there's plenty of people who want me to. But that is, I think, what's interesting is to see how social media has always been a little scary for people like me. And it's always come as a woman with a slew of sort of, you know, rape death, and torture threats um people who think it's funny to like post your address on the internet and send it to fan accounts and has that happened to you many
0: times oh my god
1: yeah um like I have a full-time open active harassment and threat case going with two police departments in two states literally all of the time
0: what are they specifically reacting to
1: Um, anything.
0: It's really, it's just, uh, there's
1: not not a hot button
0: issue that you tend to, it's all of it. It's It's reacting
1: to their perception of privilege. It's reacting to their perception of like coastal elitism. And I'm like, cool. For the last 15 years, I've lived in North Carolina and Chicago. So you're wrong. Um, also like the coasts are pretty chill. Uh, I really like them, you know, and, and even when Chicago comes up, you mentioned gun control, for example, when I talk about that stuff, people go so nuts about it. And what they don't understand, because they can't process that I'm a, a social liberal, that I believe in equality for all, that I believe we should smash the patriarchy and systemic racism and actually make healthcare more easily accessible than weaponry, they can't understand that, like, as they like to call me a libtard or a coastal elite or whatever they like, insult slinging, however that goes— they're so shocked to find out that I've been a sharpshooter since I was 12 years old and I have a concealed weapons permit and I own multiple guns and they're like wait what? And then I can say yeah, so I'm a liberal technically who also is a hobbyist, who is a great tracker on a hunt, uh who actually really believes in if you eat meat, you should be able to catch it and clean it. I do not believe in trophy hunting. I think it's appalling and disgusting and I'm the first person to say like let's let's continue the ivory crushes and make sure we crush the ivory trade so elephants can survive. And, you know, I rant about big game hunting cause it's for sport and I think it's disgusting. But when I, when we talk about sort of conservationism and sustainability, there are theoretically, uh, you know, conservative verticals that fit into that umbrella as a, as a really truly sort of liberal and preservationist ideal. And I'm always down to look at both sides But people project one-sidedness onto me.
0: We're going to talk about something else that's really horrific, Mm. Um, Harvey Weinstein.
1: Mm. I almost look at Harvey. Granted, he's blowing open a macro issue in our society. But him as a person is really micro to me. Because somebody said something on Twitter the other day. Oh, it was Patton Oswalt. He said, this is one guy Mm -hmm. who did all this. one guy. And when you see one cockroach, you know the walls are full of them. We can't undo the past, so what are we doing in our current day? How, how, in the middle of an election, did all of these women come forward? And did that man still get elected? I know. Because you know what? I believe women. And you know what? When we talk about open secrets, it's been an open secret that Donald Trump is a fucking groper for as long as I can remember. Like, he worked on the same network I did. I've heard stories about that, man. Everybody has. And I don't understand how we don't level the playing field with men like that. How, how does that happen? So in the face of that fact alone, when people say, you know, why are women silent after assaults? I'm like, maybe because the pussy grabber gets elected president. And somebody asked me, they said, you know, have you ever been assaulted? And literally the response that came to my brain before it came out of my mouth was, when would you like me to start? Where would you like me to start? Have I been groped by a producer who's like a nice married guy? Yeah. Have I been groped worse than I was groped by the nice married producer by a Marine? Yeah. And I say this as a person who's been on USO tours. It wasn't on a USO tour, but like a serviceman, a guy who wears a fucking uniform. On what planet do you think you can reach inside my clothing and you best believe I gave him an earful about how he didn't deserve to wear the boots he was wearing, let alone the uniform he was wearing? How fucking dare he? So what are we teaching men?
0: When you and I had dinner, we were talking about style in in a, mm. in a very kind of broad sense. And you said something so meaningful to me, and I've never forgotten it. And you said, you know, I've literally worked with a professional stylist for the last, like, you know, 15 some odd years. I don't really know what my style is because mm. I've been told what to wear every day. Right. And I, Well,
1: and, and in particular on set.
0: And I thought that was really profound. I yeah. think you have amazing style. But what do you think, you know, what, do you, what sort of appeals to you about exploring your style at this chapter of your life? So,
1: yeah, I remember that conversation, too, because I said to you, you know, it's interesting. I've played these characters for such long periods of time. And I go to work every day and I wear their clothes. And I go to work generally at 5 in the morning and I go home at like 930 at night. So I, I go to work in sweatpants. <laughs> um, so I have no idea how I dress. Really. And some days I get dressed and I'm like, oh yeah, this feels like me. And some days I stand in my closet and I literally can't put anything together.
0: I wish I was there on those days. Um, I want to do outfit planning. Ugh, I would do so I would bad. I
1: literally like... love that so much. Everything you ever post on Instagram, I'm ugh. like, oh, <laughs> I love it. It's about more than clothes. It's about expression. And I think it really is a reflection of self-knowledge and awareness um, and sense of humor for people like and her who dress with such. Yes, exactly. Um, I feel that way with Tracy Ellis Ross mm-hmm. um I feel that way when I look at Diane Kruger. like I mean she's so glam but like even on dress down days she just always looks like herself
0: good airport looks oh always best. has good airport looks literally I know
1: so what's interesting to me now is starting to try to figure out what makes me feel good you know when I put something on that makes me kind of like do a little a little shimmy like yeah oh. I like this okay and then I feel really nice for the rest of the day there's there's more merit to how you dress than just wanting to look cute. I really do think it's a, a signal of self-care and self-knowledge. And for me, yeah, now realizing that I, that I have often, by the way, um, whether it's in romance, career, fashion, been swayed more by the needs of other people than perhaps by what I actually want, I, I'm starting to think about what I want first and foremost. And I'm going to go from there. And I've been sort of slowly cleaning out my closet. And I've been trying to pay more attention to what my eye is drawn to. And I was actually just having this conversation with my girlfriend Babs the other day and I was like it sounds so cheesy but I think I'm gonna make like a mood board like in the way that I would if I do it when I decorate a space I love a mood board I love a mood board but I've never done one for my clothing I do them for interiors
0: I'm gonna send you some inspiration I would love that but I want to talk about love Mm. you wrote a beautiful beautiful eloquent elegant essay in Cosmo about how we have to stop just focusing so much on this concept of the one. Mm. And I just want to say cheers to that. Thank you. Cheers. Me. There you go. Tell me why you wanted to write that story.
1: I just hate how this obsession with getting somewhere has made us completely blind to the journey. There are relationships that weren't meant to be my forever that changed my life. Like people who changed my life. Just the other day I was at breakfast with some friends and I saw my sweet boyfriend that I dated from the time that I was like, I don't know, 23 and change, 24 to 25 and change. And I saw him and his wife. And I know them and they have this great band and I go to all their shows when we're in the same city and like um, I'm friends with them rather was the right word. But it's been a long day and I'm not speaking proper English anymore. Anyhow.
0: You're uh, doing good.
1: You know, we're. We're we adore each other and we were like, ah, and they were like, What are you doing in LA? You know, and I said, I just got back like literally an hour ago. I came straight here off the plane, and we were just like, we were all freaking out. We were so geeked out to see each other. It was so nice. And I they're one of those couples I love to look at because like they did it right. You see them and you're like, that's right. Them being so perfectly right for each other in their forever love story does not in any way, shape, or form diminish the fact that 10 years ago we had the loveliest little love season and really did some healing together. And, like, what a beautiful thing. They're not mutually exclusive. I think we have to stop looking at any relationship that isn't the forever relationship as a failure.
0: And we should start
1: celebrating them as just these things that did what they were meant to do.
0: Enhancements. Yeah. Yes. Lessons. Yes. So cool. In terms of love and falling, you know, say somebody wants to fall in love. What's your advice to young women about how to navigate that?
1: Man, the thing that I wish someone had told me that I would like to tell young women.
0: Not even young women, anyone. You I mean, all women. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we're
1: all... (laughs) we're all young forever in a way you have to know how to love yourself because the way that you love yourself is the way that you teach other people to love you. And I think that so many women find themselves unhappy or unfulfilled or anxious in their relationships because they don't know how to be with themselves. And then the partners they pick don't know how to be with them either. And it's nobody's fault But it is the kind of thing that we have to learn and then change. And that, I think, is why you see sort of specificity coming with age and you see better relationships coming later in life for people
0: because... I have one. There you go. It came a little bit later.
1: Exactly. And you just, you learn, you will learn why you are worth loving and then someone else
0: loves you that way. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Sophia Bush, it's been such a pleasure to have you on Unstyled. I hope you'll come back. All the time. Let's I do love this I love seeing the time. you. Let's do it all <laughs> the time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I hope you're inspired after hearing Sophia's story. For even more Unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag Unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more and make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Sarah Bernard, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Tommy Fitzpatrick. Our theme music today is by the artist Kauf, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Thank you so much to everyone for your support. I hope you've enjoyed Unstyled just as much as we've enjoyed making it for you, and we'll see you back here next season.